welcome to the Artist Appeals. This is Erin Sparler and I'm your host. In the Artist Appeals, we interview artists, crafters, photographers, and business professionals about the business of art. I hope you'll join us and enjoy the show. Hello, my friends. Welcome once again to the Artist Appeals. This is the final episode of season two. Before we take a little break, And I'm so excited to share with you a grand finale today that's going to knock your socks off. In this episode, we are talking with an extremely successful artist. Let me give you some hints. See if you can guess who I'm talking about. This lady is Australian. She is all over the place with multiple books, as well as her own line of craft supplies. Her craft supplies encompass colors and watercolors and uh, daughters and books and papers and stamps and stencils, the whole nine yards. She's carried in AC Moore, Hobby Lobby, Michaels, all the big box stores have her products. She's licensed to Spellbinders and American Crafts, and she's got all these online workshops. I mean, literally dozens. She's renowned for her whimsical figures of female faces as well as mermaids. Have you guessed yet? Well, in today's episode, we interview and talk with the one, the only, the amazing Jane Davenport. Enjoy. Hey, Jane. How are you? I'm so well, Erin. I'm so excited to have you on today. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, it's been a long time since I've seen you in the flesh, but it's very nice to hear your voice. Yeah, yeah. We met up in Maine at John Paul Caponegro's. What, that was like, I don't know, 10 years ago before I had kids. Oh my gosh. Yes. Beautiful place. That was a really good workshop. Well, I enjoyed it a lot. He's fantastic. And you know, I'm dying to know, since I haven't seen you in a long time, how you transition from what we were doing at John's, which was learn how to print photographs. And you had the most beautiful work of bugs and ladybugs on dandelion fluff. And you were showing these huge, massive prints at garden centers and stuff like that, almost like installation art. And you had a gallery. Where was your gallery? In Byron Bay, where I am, which is a sort of the American equivalent would be Carmel by the Sea. In the UK, they have Brighton, so it's sort of a bit of a bohemian, chic, celebrity slash normal old everyday beach vibe, oh, and I had a gallery there. Oh, that sounds like a gorgeous place to be. It is. So it's where I live, and yeah, just getting into galleries is difficult, a lot of work, as any uh, artist that's in that realm knows. Staying in there is next level as well because gallery owners, they're always looking for the net, you know, the next new thing and, you know, the, and getting, showing work and then also getting work back, getting work, getting paid. This was going back a while when I was working with galleries. You know, galleries, they had a high, I don't know what the proper word is, but mortification rate. A lot of them would, open and disappear and you would disappear with your art sometimes and your money and 
Yeah, so <laughs> I was the reason we opened our own gallery was so that we could control that part of what we were doing and that was fantastic. But the transition was it was just a to me it was very gradual to the outside world, people outside of my brain, it would have looked quite sudden. I'm the type of person that when something just doesn't feel good to do anymore and when I'm not interested in doing it, I'm almost physically incapable of doing it. I just don't, My nothing in me wants to do it and I can't force it or it feels forced and I just can't do it for very long. So I was absolutely obsessed with insects and the photography part came second. That was just a way of capturing what I was looking at and then showing, making prints, all of that came second to my interest of actually traveling and looking at bugs and I just was obsessional about it. And then I felt like I'd seen every bug in the world. And although I still love them and I have great appreciation for them, just that desire left my body and I had to find another avenue, another obsession. And I've lived in my own body for my whole life. I know what I'm like and I know the next obsession is just around the corner and I just have to remain out in the world, aware, keep my antenna up and the next obsession. So my current obsession is ancient Egypt and ancient civilizations. Oh, cool. I don't know how that will come into my working life, but Mm -hmm. eventually with me, the way my obsessions work is I'm just personally interested in it. I love researching it, reading about it, watching videos, documentaries. If I can travel, I've just been to Egypt before with Corona stuff. And and then eventually if the obsession lifts, then I have to incorporate that into my work because it just becomes part of what I want to do every day. So when I transition from the photography, photographing bugs, to me it was just a gradual, natural thing. But I'm, I'm lucky that my audience has stayed with me when I go through transitions because I've, I've gone through transitions before and I probably will go through transitions in the future. Well, my mom totally wants to go to Egypt. She wants to eat eggs under the pyramid for some reason, but you're right. <laughs> sand, <laughs> and, sand and eggs would not be good. You could do it on the camel, like you could maybe do a camel ride, eat your eggs. I don't know how all of these things would stitch together, but you should go with her and laugh. Oh, I would. We love to travel together. Um, She once climbed Machu Picchu, my mom did, and um, she invited me to go at that point, and I didn't. And I'm kind of glad because she got dysentery or whatever. Uh, Which is always a concern, which is always a concern when you travel. But, yeah. you know, that's just you take the medicines with you and hopefully you don't get anything that yeah. at least you'll never forget the trip. Yeah. But, yeah, lots of people get that when they do the Machu Picchu. Machu Picchu. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you went to Egypt and you said you saw this pyramid and it was just epic? Not so much life-changing. Like my life is not going to change because I saw the pyramids, but I'm just so interested in ancient culture and like I was saying I don't know how that will influence my artwork long term I'm drawing I think I'm 
including more skin colors after going to Egypt and naturally. Okay. Yeah, that's been a, a change that has, because when you look at the hieroglyphs, Egyptians colored themselves in all sorts of colors from green to some of the really? gods were odd colors. Yes, the god of the underworld was green. And mm. of course they got a burgeoning interest in ancient India as well. And they have some very colorful gods, blues, greens, plus arms, yeah, heads of elephants. But all of these things strike Yes, exactly. But they strike me as, I mean, they are a religious thing, of course, for those people. But they're quite whimsical and imaginative mm. and beautiful. Heck yeah. Yeah. You know, one of our other guests, John, um, he's this amazing science fiction and fantasy artist, and he's working on this epic book kind of in the theme of Beowulf. But anyways, he's a Greek, and he was talking about how he takes his students to museums in place and has them sketch from ancient artifacts and they use that to inform their fantasy artwork or their illustrations or um they're calling it what's it called now it's a new term that i just learned recently and i was like oh that's so cool imaginative realism oh yes that's my cup of tea yeah yeah so i think travel and looking at historical works I, I didn't want to say artworks there, but just historical works, whether it be artifacts or religious artifacts or whatever, can really inform and influence your work. And, and you've just attested to that. Yeah, just it stimulates that part of your mind. So at the Cairo Museum, they have the Tutankhamun's jewelry, his funeral mm. jewelry. My eyes were on sticks and my mouth actually just started watering. And it's not, I want to wear it. It's too big. It's too fancy, but it's it struck me as whimsical, like it was some artifact things are grandiose. This yeah. had a delicacy and a whimsicalness. There was a lot of inclusion of animals mm. and it was, uh, I just, I loved it so much. Just it, I found it so nourishing um, stepping yeah. outside and finding something. And the reason I started going down this, you know, ancient, I learn about it at school, you know, here, see little news snippets. I see documentaries, Mm -hmm. Egypt, this and that, you know, they're always interesting. Mm -hmm. But I had a little pet who had just a long little battle with a disease and she was my Mm -hmm. little favourite little soul, my studio mate. And to remember her in your videos, your fluffy wife, my little baby. baby. And, I mean, I just spent like every hour of the day with her because I work from home so she was with me all the time. And to help me come to terms and just get through all of this, I started watching um, Egypt documentaries and a trip with an artist that I really love came up and I thought, wow, floating down the Nile painting that, I don't know why that just, it was pretty romantic sort of image. And that from that, it just tipped me into this obsession with not just Egypt, but ancient wonders because it's real Alice in Wonderland stuff. You can yeah. literally fall in a hole and like with Gumman's tomb, it was a bit more than just falling in a hole, but there are these <laughs> things that are hidden from us that are connected to us that we fully don't understand, but it's just that wonderment and that curiosity. And yeah, 
I think that that's just such a big part of me as a person. Yeah. I, I love feeling curious and inquisitive and not knowing the answers and then helping unravel the not knowing in my art. And then I part I of what I do is... Trait. Yeah, I think that's a great trait of of any artist. And I want to touch on the fact that you said you went there with an artist that you love. I think that's amazing that you are still studying and still uh, interacting and learning from other artists as well. That's just so cool. I love just stepping out of my own shoes. Sometimes Mm -hmm. when, especially if you've got more of an established artist, you might, you know, be reticent to go, keep on going to workshops. You probably do in your formative years and then as you get your own style you sort of think oh you know what they might not want me there or this or that and I've never found that to be the case yeah because you know your own style you're not going to in one week or however long you're not going to suddenly you know absorb someone else's thing and start copying them you're it's for me it's just a walk in someone else's shoes I get to hang out with someone that I think is cool as heck and Uh, with other artists who think, you know, we're usually attracted to the same sort of art. So you're going to have some cool conversations mm-hmm. or some cool experiences around that. Mm-hmm. And so there's also the people that are attracted to that, like how I met yeah. you at John yes. Paul's. <laughs> and I don't know, there's that, I, you never, I don't think you can ever stop learning. But even if I don't follow the teacher's exact teachings, which to be honest, it's always been a problem of mine from <laughs> rebel from the start, right? Exactly. But I, you know, you take that kernel and you're like, oh, whoa. And then it opens up that little horizon inside you in your mind. And you suddenly see down this tunnel of something that you think, oh, there's something elusive down there. I'm going to chase after that. So that's the yeah. sort of experience that I love having in another workshop. So very often, it looks like I'm not listening, engage, sometimes not listening, fully engaging. I fully am. <laughs> yes. Um, being productive and all of that. But I, I use workshops as a gift to myself, as a reward in between major mm-hmm. projects. So I, if I've been writing a book, if I'm Fabulous at halfway place. point, yeah. Yeah. I, halfway point or the end of the book, I book, a, well, when travel was a little easier, would usually have yeah. a big trip, so I've got something to look forward to that's not related to what I'm the book. It's something right. totally different. I've got a hard deadline. I have to finish the book, not just because of the deadline, because I'm going away. So I've added a little bit of structure in my life, and yeah. I have this experience that's like a palate cleanser, and then I can come mm-hmm. back and be me <laughs> after an adventure. So. I've, that way I've gone on some really cool adventures with other artists and of all the artwork that I have in my home, usually it's the stuff that I do when I'm on a workshop that I actually display. I can't really mm. use it for anything because it's not fully mine because I've you know been yeah. learning something, but it just reminds me of a trip, a place, a person or people. And it's a memory. Yeah. It's a story. You know, that is some fabulous advice, using um, travel to inform your work and and traveling and workshops. And I love the tip about giving yourself a goal, a deadline, and then a reward when you reach that goal. I've heard that from other like mindset coaches. So it's really cool to see an artist incorporating that as well. So, you know, you transitioned from this gallery 
into this online space. Was there a catalyst or something? You said you were kind of bored with the bugs and you you knew it was coming, but you went from the physical to the online world. Was there something that sparked that? Yeah, so I was at my gallery and I had the photography and I started painting again for myself. Uh, I've always painted, I've always drawn, like I draw, have always drawn every single day to map out ideas, even for my photography. Mm. But I started painting uh, large canvases and I was getting too many to keep in my house. (laughs) And I had a gallery. So I started putting some of them in the gallery and they sold very quickly. And then. We would market put, research. You were testing yes. it. <laughs> and then I would really just getting them out of my, I just, I was just having so much fun painting. I didn't need them all in my house. And yeah. so I popped them in there. That was great. And then I thought, wow, I can get wholesale paint. If I, you know, sign up for a wholesale account, uh, I can get my paint cheaper. And then I'll just put Good some of the reason. paint in my gallery. So I put, um, I would have my painting there. And then we would display what I'd used. So the different paints, brushes, whatever. Oh, yeah. Just so, so I was learning more about paint and more about those sorts of things as well. Because when paint. you're advising someone else, it's a, you have to think about it in a different way because you're explaining something that you've learnt experientially mm-hmm. over time. You've got to get that down into a nutshell to someone who's standing in front of you saying, well, what do I need this for why do I what is this right so for me to be able to tell the people in the store that we had in the gallery how you know so when people say what is Jessa what is that they could just say it and um and and be able to use it as an example so we started selling a lot of art supplies so then I was asked to do I started doing little workshops in the gallery like on a Saturday after or Sunday afternoon or okay whatever they always filled up to overflowing and then I, I did an online course myself mm-hmm. called 21 secrets uh with a, I remember um, that fantastic it was lots of different artists I loved it and it was like I think one of the very first online classes certainly I had ever seen and then I did one of the say the teacher who'd organized the whole thing Connie I did one of her online workshops yeah. and uh was Fabulous. This is the begin the infancy of online workshops. And then yeah. she, this was like uh, 2010, I think, right? Yeah. Maybe even yeah. 2009. And then yeah. sounds like the prehistory that I have fallen in love with now, where the pyramids <laughs> <laughs> the pyramids are only 10 years old. So then I ancient history. She, <laughs> 2010 right. was ancient, ancient history. history. That's right. Ancient history. Well, vintage history. Is it even vintage? I don't know. Retro. No, no, we're just being sarcastic. We're being sissy, yeah. Um, so then I, she asked me to teach for 21 Secrets. I don't know if another teacher dropped out or because I had never taught. And she said, mm. you know, just I had no idea what I would do. I had no idea how it would even record it. I'd never done anything like that. And before mm. I could say no and talk myself out of it, I just said yes. And then trial by fire. I just, I just yeah, work <laughs> it out. So I did it on my phone, and it was so super involved and what. Uh, everyone was joining this little class. I had it was called Draw Happy, and it was just about it. doing it, drawing it, doing it, and it had such a great response. And I discovered I loved teaching, and mm. uh, I, I, online, who knew that it could be so engaging? You mm. sort of thought, oh no, it would be 
you just didn't know that it could be as engaging as it is. So I um, did that and then I thought, oh, you know what, I'm going to do, I'm going to try my own workshop. So I thought if I got, you know, 50 people, how amazing would that be? And then Mm. I opened it up, it was called Supplies Me and it was all about art supplies, which I knew. I took that, I took it. (laughs) Because I love, it's still my biggest, most popular workshop. Is um, it? Oh, no, I've, oh, yeah. Oh, no, I've, well, I've got a free one. Of course, that one has got tons and tons of people in it, but as for, for yeah. my actual workshops, um, because it's just so broad-ranging and it's a huge, really juicy workshop. I love it. Yeah. And you I go through all talk- the supplies and it's fantastic because you share with everybody your favorites and what you use and how to use them and which ones are, oh, it's, it's so lovely. And and there's drawing lessons in there, so I just packed everything. It's like a fire hose. There's a lot in there. <laughs> yeah. So how many people did you have to sign up the first time? Oh, I think there were over 300 by the time the workshop started, oh, wow. and now there are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people in that. Oh, my God. Um, that's so cool, James. So time. cool. And it's, it's like fun the dream. for me. It's yeah. just fun. Yeah, it's great. And it's a natural transition from you selling those products in your store and learning about them. And, and you know, that's a separate revenue stream. It's one of the things that I kind of try and touch on on the business end with artists is that you got to have multiple revenue streams, right? And one of those is supplies and one of those is teaching and yeah. they can naturally progress. Yeah. And then even going further, another 10 years. Now I make and sell art supplies. So I know you're in Michael's. You you big time. You big time, baby. A hobby, hobby lover, <laughs> hobby craft, and this one. Yeah. And okay. So tell us, how did that happen? Like, how did you meet people, and how did you start making products? So that's the next transition. Is you went from gallery to online, and then online to brick and mortar, like. How did that Yeah, happen? there was a, a little stop in between the um, – I had my first book that came out. And okay, that yeah. The Faces one? Yes, that's been a massive best – all of my instructionals have been really best bestsellers. So that book has been in the Amazon Bricks and Water store because of the unusually high ratings that it has. And mm. when – that, and I'm super proud of that. It just means the right people are getting it and finding it useful. And by right, I mean – people that want that that kind of book, that information. Yeah. And I think was very it was really good for my confidence to have such a, po- a popular, well-received book and it just adds a bit of gloss. It sets you apart yeah. uh, in yeah. a way, even if it's just in your own mind, you're like, yes, I do know what I'm talking about and this is my book. The Faces book was one of your first books to come out. And you were doing these online classes. So did you build the book from the classes? Like, did you take images from the classes and make the book from based on that? And did you do that just because you wanted to? Or did you, you know, pitch it and have a publisher before you did it? Or did you just say, I'm going to do it? Um, I went to a workshop in Mexico uh, mm-hmm. with Flora Bowley, who I think you've had as a guest. Beautiful yeah. Flora. She's awesome. So awesome. And I, I had a, I went uh, on one of her workshops in um, Mexico with a girlfriend and mm. we had such a, oh, such a good time and painting and just the whole vibe. 
and Flora's book, I think, had just come out and mm-hmm. she was sitting there and there was a group of us just sitting there having a little chat, having a little drink, and she was sitting there and someone had asked her, I think, to uh, sign their copy. They had bought a, their, her book and she was signing it. Mm-hmm. And she was still sitting there and we were just all chatting about this and that and she was stroking the cover of her book like it was a cat, <laughs> like a, a beloved pet. And I've met so many artists and authors over time who hate their books, uh, have got a million criticisms about working with the publisher because they had no control over the cover. Sometimes mm. you don't even see what the book looks like until it's printed, Ooh, depending harsh. on who you are. Uh, yeah, and then they don't like it. So, mm. or it might not even have a title that they like. It wasn't the time, you know, the, the experience wasn't what they wanted. Not this woman. She loved it. And I just thought, whoa, that's kind of unusual. She's there stroking it like her favorite little chihuahua. And I thought, <laughs> and I said, you're stroking that book. Like what, what made you love it? And she just told a story of how, um, I don't want to tell her story, but because it might not be. after. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but what we after that week, she did um, put me in contact with her editor. So, like her editor, uh, you know, just had said to her, "If you meet anyone that you think, well, this this person's interesting, she'd make a she'd do a good book." So Flora just did me that wonderful. What do you call it? Did me a solid. <laughs> she yeah. just inter- yeah. connected us, and then it was up to us, the editor and I, to make this happen. So the way books happen is you have your editor and then they have to be your advocate mm. to the publishing house because just because an editor, because they're out there with their antennas, especially in social media. So this is why it's important to be on social media, and I'll touch on this again, be doing your workshops, mm. be doing all of these proactive things other mm-hmm. than just the, the straight solid art, the more you can involve other people, let them into your world and tell mm-hmm. them what it is that you love, what your passion is and express that in whatever way feels comfortable. But as long as it's public, um, that, that way people get to know what it is. So because I had enough of a following, it means mm-hmm. that when a publisher comes along, they have to make a decision on money and mm. they're looking at, 100 books being pitched by their editors and they've got to look at that and say, well, where are we going to get our return? Because they're not in love with your book. Your editor is. Right. But the, the publisher is not. They're just, they present, it might not be their cup of tea at all. They might not even like art books. They've got to make a business decision and part of that business decision is how many followers, how many people are you going to be able to tell about because marketing mm-hmm. books has completely changed. And how many yeah. books are you going to be able to sell for them? That's yeah. how that decision is going to be made. So this is why <laughs> social media is important for aspects like that. And yeah, so, yeah, we've got together. I did. I we I created the book. I filmed the whole making of the book and made oh. a workshop from filming the oh, me, cool. me doing it. So beautiful faces. Smart is, idea. Yeah, filming the book and then um, developing further. So I've got a workshop that goes with the book, but you don't have to have the two together. But So you're filming it and you're painting it and you're talking while you're painting, right? Did you use the transcripts or the audio to help inform the text of the book? No. That, oh, I, that okay. I, usually 
when I'm, if I'm doing a live, like at the moment, I'm doing Facebook lives every day because I've got creative prompts that run in one of my Facebook groups and Mm, I'm talking through my art all the time. That's a fairly rare skill for an artist, having Mm, seen many artists at work. Yeah. A lot of people can't tell you why they're picking up the yellow. Mm. They just intuitively, you, you just pick, you know, that that's just the color you need to use. Um, or whatever color it is or whatever line you're making mm-hmm. to actually verbalize as well that adds another whole layer of um, it's just another skill and not everyone maybe it's something you can learn yeah but it's just something that I, I can chit chat away and still do my art I think teaching teaches you to teach uh, yes that would be very intelligently said <laughs> it's a little sound clip Hey, I want to ask you something. I want to back up just a little bit. You mentioned about sharing on social media and sharing and how important it is to share as much of the behind the scenes as you're comfortable with. But I've had Mm -hmm. students and um, artists ask me, like, how much do I share? How much do I know to share? And that's a real conundrum for people of, of how much do I expose? How do you deal with that personally since um, so much of your work is in the public and you have so many followers? Like, where do you draw the line? How do you um, deal with it mentally? You know, any tips or tricks for people? Like, how do they share on social media and not feel exposed? Mm, Do you know what I'm saying? If it makes you feel exposed and icky... Don't do it because you're you're not going to keep on with it and it's just something in your intuition. If you think it's just because you're being a little bit of a fraidy cat, then you gotta might have to sort of push yourself a little bit more. But if it really genuinely feels not right, you can just delete it, take it down. The other way you can tell what is resonating and what isn't is also with your audience. Um, so if you just, if you normally get so I know with my posts, oh, I might say the average is like 1,200 likes, for instance. If a post gets three likes, <laughs> <laughs> you kind of also learn your audience is just not interested in what you eat. Like if I posted a picture of a coffee, unless it had a dinosaur formed by the milk or it had something <laughs> artistic about it, they're just not going to be interested. I'll get three likes. Or if I if I put out tons of travel pictures of look at what I saw in Egypt, I had to really hold myself back because I would just want, I would have just posted all day. I had no Wi-Fi, so that was a bit of a, a stopper, and I was very busy looking. But if I had just posted travel pictures, I would have just right. yeah, people aren't interested. So you can let that help govern as well. But uh-huh. if you're in those formative stages, um, mostly your art and you doing your art, it feels good to you to include more aspects of your life I know that people love seeing me out with my dogs and Mm -hmm. when I'm at the beach or if I'm out taking my little ones for a walk Uh, Mm -hmm. so I'll let people in on that Mm -hmm. because that makes me feel good and that makes my people that know me through the socials uh, feel because a lot of people might be in snow when I'm in summer in Australia and Mm. marching around you know just that there's uplifting I think that's a good advice. If it feels good for you and it feels good for the audience, then go with it and do more of that. And if it doesn't, don't. Yeah. Pretty succinct. <laughs> yeah. It's like walking into the dentist and, you know, if you've got a, oh, this is a story that happened to me. And I went in there, I was like, every time I pressed my tooth, 
you know, I'm walking there, sticking my hand in my mouth. It hurts. And the dentist just looked at me and he just said, stop sticking your hand in your mouth. Why? (laughs) Why are you poking your tooth? Stop doing that and it won't hurt anyone. I was like, well, thank you for your advice. (laughs) And also just use a sensitive sensitive tooth toothpaste, problem fixed. Yeah. I have an eight-year-old and he lost his top two front teeth. So he's got this big gap and he's <laughs> losing another one and he can't keep his hands out of his mouth. I'm like, take your hands out of your mouth. But don't anyway. you remember when your teeth fell out as a kid? My mom would send us to the picture. She would drop us off with a big stick of like bubble gum or whatever. And <laughs> we would have to have to get the whole thing in our mouths and chew it in the dark watching the movie and always the tooth would come out. Oh, I'm going to try that. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta say that. Thank you for the tip. So, you know, we're talking about social media. We've talked about your art. We've talked about how many products you have. How many products do you have on the shelf now? It's got to be like hundreds of SKUs. Yeah, it's over three hundred, and we're just starting Brilliant. to do our own as well. Oh, really? Yeah, some little exclusives for our website, which I'm super excited about. I'm going to launch one on Friday. Oh, cool! A little plug there on Friday. Well, what date will that be? Because um, this will probably come out maybe just after or just. Um, It'll they'll be there whenever whenever this comes out. They'll be out. But there's always new things. I'm always testing new art supplies. One of the hardest things of my life is not being able to talk about everything that I'm testing that I'm doing. Uh, I have yeah. to do a lot of art uh-huh. that I can't show. That I can't even show the pictures because my people are so eagle-eyed. And they are so looking for the new things that they uh-huh. they spot it instantly. Sometimes they even sneak it in to uh-huh. see if anyone spots it, and they always do. And they're like, oh, it's, it's, like, that it's, little, like uh, it's like a little totally. adventure I spy game. Exactly. I where's Wally, but it's where's the new art supply. So Yeah, yeah. So what website fun. will this be on? JaneDavenport.com yep. or do you still have Institute of Cute? They all link to the same thing. So the Institute okay. of Cute was the gallery and then um, we, janedavenport.com has absorbed that. She ate okay. it all up. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go, guys, just in case you're like, what she, what she launched and what she got. So exclusive products only available on your website. I like it. Mm. And that makes more, you know, you get more of the profit then, right? Because you don't have to just get royalties from a big manufacturer that's having your stuff done in China. Yeah, we're just more in control of the process, but also we can just bring something out a lot quicker. So usually Mm. working with retailers, working with a licensee, even if something is fast-tracked, it's still six to nine months. Yeah. Um, But most most things take well over a year to come Mm -hmm. to fruition uh, and sometimes longer because uh, just with lead times and testing and just all of the Mm -hmm. different things and then the, the retailer has to, especially big retailers, it's mm-hmm. an art form within itself, the way they have to run their businesses because imagine stocking thousands of stores mm-hmm. at, all at the same time. I, the logistics of that is not something. Yeah. We talked to Denzel Quick in season one and he talked about pogs and a little bit about <laughs> the display process. and the whole how language. Build. Oh, yeah. It's a whole language all of its own. And, you know, another pro I imagine is that you can really keep the quality nice. You can have control over the quality. Oh, yes. But we also, I mean, we have control over the quality 
well, we try with whatever is happening because uh, something that doesn't work out for people is just a total bummer for the people. But also you, mm-hmm. you burden yourself with if people are having trouble with something, you know, they, someone has to answer those questions. So it's, it's a lot of resources if you're producing rubbish. So you mm-hmm. may as well not do that. So everyone is trying very hard to not have any issues. Issues happen. Uh, and yeah. then, you, again, you just have to, like with everything in life, and then you yeah. just have to deal with them as they as they occur. Yeah. And you put that in your contracts, huh? Oh, yeah. So contracts, one of the single biggest things you can do, like to help yourself, if you have anything you sign, including your own artwork, you have to not just read but understand your contracts. I find them unbelievably difficult to read I have to my husband goes through them first because he knows what Mm -hmm. to look out for but as Mm -hmm. the person who is going to do the work and be in a partnership with someone else you have to know what you're in for and what you're the what's being expected of you Uh, and if you don't read that contract and fully understand it and in the broadest sense um a lot of people just don't read their contracts at all they're hard to read yeah. You know, I've got an attorney that reads them. So, you know, if there's any really major stuff, but I still have to read it. And I, what I do is I start in the middle, read to the oh, end. Really? And then I can't read it from the beginning. And my brain just says, I can't do this. It's maths. This is like maths. This is not <laughs> what I do. I speak colors. I don't speak numbers. And I don't speak this. I love that tip. Language. You start in the middle, go to the end, and then you come back to the beginning eventually. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. I have to trick myself. I love it. It's a little brain trick. I mean, we need these little mm-hmm. tricks. I think contracts yes. are really intimidating for a lot of artists. And, Ooh. you know, I think one of the best advice is to have somebody else read it and ask questions. Ask questions. Totally. Right? And then, I mean, just it's a contract that's not written in stone and it may be intimidating. And of course, you're so grateful to be working with another company that wants to pay you for your something you love doing anyway so it all you know for an artist it all feels like too good to be true Mm -hmm. but everything you don't have to go into like massive hard negotiations about the money and stuff but there can be things well because usually that's worked out even before a contract you've sort of got a bit of an inkling of what that might be Mm -hmm. but there are things in there that sometimes they're just boilerplate contracts and they might not be relevant to you but they could mm. have massive implications. So mm. it's better just ask the question. And usually the contracts person just says, oh, yeah, oh, sorry, that shouldn't have been in there anyway. We'll just cross that out. And <laughs> I can't tell you how many times that's happened. Oh, well, that doesn't need to be in there anyway, so don't worry about it. Or sure, yeah, no, we can just change that. And um, I think it actually shows that you're super interested in your own interests if you mm-hmm. do come back with just a couple of questions. Uh, and you can do it in a non aggressive, non-way, you know, just in your own way that makes is comfortable. It, it, my skin does crawl a little bit, mm. but it's important. It's better to, the reason you even have a contract is if things go wrong, this is what we're going to do about it mm-hmm. so that we can work it out as easily and fairly as possible. That's what your, your contract is, your safety net. Hopefully, mm-hmm. once you've signed it, you never have to refer to it again. But mm-hmm. if you do, that's got all of your safety features, your guardrails. If you don't have a contract for something and you're working with someone else, 
frightening mm. severely. Right. Even just a little something written in pen on a serviette is better than nothing signed by both parties. Yeah. You know, you don't want to buy supplies or buy materials and spend a lot of money and then have them back out, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it's just licensing the dream or what you might think licensing is, is someone comes along to you and says, wow, we love you. We love your work. You're awesome. And we <laughs> just, we're just going to take your artwork and you don't have to lift a finger. You didn't have to do anything. Uh, we'll just do everything. It'll be fantastic. And then we'll just give you some money. Isn't that the dream? Isn't that the Cinderella dream? <laughs> well, it's just not the reality at all. So licensing, like everything else in life, the more you put into it. So getting the license is, you know, no walk in the park. That's, you know, you have to have a following. You have to have, you know, a lot of originality. Also, you have to be lucky enough for it to be commercially viable, that it's mm. something that is in the zeitgeist people respond to because you can be the best mm. artist in the world. If it comes out at the wrong time and human beings just aren't, you know, just doesn't float there, enough of them just doesn't float their boat, it's just not going to ever, unfortunately, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. No fault of your own. You can be the most talented person on the planet. It's just it's, that is the blind luck part. Um, but, you know, say it is going to be da, 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 commercially viable, popular enough, you don't have to do anything. It's just your natural thing that you're doing. The company says, yes, we want to work together. We've got a simpatico. We think we can make this work. You still have to do a lot of work. I do tons of work. And yeah. the more energy I put in, the more successful the product is because the products come out. You have to love them because you are going to have to talk about them. You are going to have to mm. share them. You're going to have to make videos. Yeah. Um, I've done things on television, just whatever, uh, magazine-y stuff, whatever, because you love talking about it. If if you And if you had no hand in it uh, and whatever popped out just wasn't your cup of tea and you thought, ew, that is not what I signed up for, you still are going to have to talk about it. You still yeah. are going to have to pretend you love it. And what would be worse than that? That would be horrific. So I'm not putting yeah. myself in that position. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That is really true. You've really got to keep at it. You've got to tell the story. And if the story doesn't feel right, then you don't want to feel like you're lying or or on the spot or whatever. So, yeah, you got to believe in and, and work your own thing. Got to work it, girl. Right? That's right. And you also have to be very uh, like an, a team member. So you can't mm. stand there and be the diva and say, well, no, I'm not. This isn't good enough. This isn't, you know, that means nothing will happen because from a commercial point of view, sometimes your vision can't be carried out for the price point because if mm. it bumps it up an extra $10, $50, nothing's going to sell. And right. You're not going People to get have paid. Expectations about what things cost. Yeah, they're different too. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> what the reality is. Yeah, so <laughs> all of those things, because I had a, before I did my photography and everything, I had a fashion background. And as a designer, you know, you come up with these fanciful creations. And oh, yeah. that is just, they're not commercially viable, as in, no one could wear them because you can't. The model had to be stitched into it for a start, so no one can yeah. put it on. 
It has to be able to fit a you know wider range of sizes, not just a model. Yeah, um, six and foot, it has been, yeah, made. Yeah, and not cost a bajillion dollars. So I sort of had that. Oh, I'm just going to say, come to Jesus moment where you just just nothing else you can do. You're just like, okay, these compromises have to be made, and you uh-huh. either stand on your turret and say no and then you are left on that turret for the rest of your life lonely with the wind blowing in your face (laughs) or you work out what the compromise is (laughs) work out okay this is okay where will I still be happy where will the person buying this wearing this using this using this outside where will this bring them joy Mm. and and this is happening in all product design all mm-hmm. the time. And I'm not saying you lower your standards. Uh, I'm just saying you just need to be able to work and together. Your, yeah, work together and work out. You would know this because you've been through product development yourself. Well, it's like so, any good relationship. It's uh, Relationships take work. If you've known somebody for a while, whether you're married to them or a best friend or whatever, they're going to be things that you don't see eye to eye on and you have to find some way to negotiate that and it's the same in any sort of business relationship and product development relationship right mm-hmm. so just yeah it is it's and there's compromise involved and mm-hmm. um yeah that's anyway these are all just things that I've learned um as I go and that's what I Great hear thing. from I have my the grand vision but then mm-hmm. people out in the world, they don't know what my grand vision was. I can yeah. still make that vision grand working within the realms of possibility. And I, I think that's one of my key strengths when I'm working with product design in particular is mm-hmm. being able to let, like, what can you let go of that is just would be nice to have, but it's not important. And sometimes mm-hmm. I see designers, you know, they pick those, The you know, you hear of the diva designer. I can uh-huh. guarantee that all of the most <laughs> famous, well-known designers of products that we love, 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 and I reckon they would have that skill too of being able to still keep the kernel and the essential itness of the design mm-hmm. and having gone through the product design process, which can be a little bit heartbreaking and licensing can be a little bit heartbreaking for you. But if you go in with these expectations. I think it's an emotional roller coaster. I mean, certainly being an artist, being an entrepreneur, it's it's ups and downs. You have these highs and these lows because you've got to compromise. You've, you know, you see things, you've got this grand vision and then maybe it's not quite your expectations and whatever, but it's worth it. Oh, totally. And then you just find it's always like you're always looking for that silver lining. Yeah. That, you know, as long as the essence of the core dream is alive in there, yeah. that is what you protect. That's the hill you die on. Well, you know, and it's like having kids. <laughs> you <laughs> love them and you want them to go out there and make waves in the world and do wonderful things, but kids aren't necessarily going to be exactly what you hoped they were going to be they're gonna be their own person (laughs) and equally we you know the kids look at the parents and the same thing (laughs) right exactly yeah yeah it's been my goal with 
all these interviews, all the research I've been doing, my whole academic career, to figure out how to make money with your art. And I imagine that that's probably what you're trying to do too, right? We all want to do something that we love for a living. Yeah? Totally. Who wouldn't? Who wants a dead-end job? So, after all this research and all these interviews, I've discovered four secrets, the four top secrets to making money with your art. And now I have a 12-page report outlining the four top secrets to making money with your art. You can download this guide for free at howtomakemoneywithyourart.com. That's right, I got that domain name. So just head on over to howtomakemoneywithyourart.com, all spelled out, no numbers, and get your free report on how to make money with your art. Hey, let's talk tech for just a sec. Um, you know, we've talked about we've talked about your art and products, and we've talked about um, a little bit about presentation, not too much um, about presenting ourselves, and we've talked about educating. You do that so well with all your online classes and and all those things. But let's talk a little bit of tech for just a second or two about automating and amplifying and and more outreach. Because you've got this huge audience, how do you keep up with it? Do you have any tips and tricks for people about how to manage social media? You know what I'm saying? Pick the things, because there's so many different avenues, pick the ones that you actually enjoy using. So I know that Pinterest is very important. I never go on it myself. It just has no interest. Maybe one at some point it will. Mm-hmm. I know it's important. I just don't really tend to do it that much. I've got stuff on there where I've had a little bit of a spurt of doing this or that, mm-hmm. but I don't worry about it. Instagram, I love. Uh, it's yeah. like mini daily blogging and I don't have to do a blog anymore. I use my blog oh, nice. as a receptacle for things that, like an archive where I can put things and people can like downloads or videos. So it's a library because it's static. Oh. It stays there and it's just I can add things. But Instagram is blogging. It's that's why blogging's just not as big a thing as it was because you've got yeah. m- in mini blogging, and you can just do that once a day. But yeah. Instagram, I I find a lot of pleasure in it. It's easy because you just take a photo with your camera. Done. Little comment. Yeah, do you do um, IGTV? No, 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 and I don't even really do that much of the. Instagram, oh, sometimes I do a live or this or that, stories. I mainly mm-hmm. republish, you know, things that people have. You just sort of work out how it's going to work for you. Yeah. And then I, do, I have Facebook groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've got a Facebook group for all each one of my workshops, a separate group. And I've also got a big Facebook group that people can join if they've got my art supplies and they want to show me their artwork and show each and other. And how do you manage that? How do you respond to people and, and manage all those Facebook groups? Do you have help or you just go in there and just systematically? I've got two admins, two people, uh, friends that help me in there. And um, that's fantastic. And, and they mainly help, one of them mainly helps with getting people in because you've mm-hmm. got to as with all social media, just check it's a real person where you can mm-hmm. and not a robot or whatever. 
and um, then we just monitor that group. And I believe in uh, teaching people how you want to or treating people how you want to be treated, teaching people. Yeah. Um, you know, we have clear guidelines there, so there's just no politics. You know, it's it's meant to be a happy, uplifting place where you can come put your artwork. Um, yeah. And the be- beauty of Facebook groups is it's very niche. I can do a live um, broadcast there. Um, I've really just started getting into um, live streaming on my Facebook page this month. So I'll, I'll be going off and doing that when we finish talking here. And that's really cool. fun. You can you just see do it on your phone. Joining. Yep, uh, that one I just do on my phone. Yep. Um, I am very interested in, I love how the gamers stream and they've got their game there and the little themselves in the picture. I had a little bit of a look at Twitch and that just mm. too chaotic, that uh, mm. the page. Um, and then other things come and go like TikTok and this and that. I do a little bit yeah. of YouTube. I don't YouTube yeah. live. I just feel like I'm out in the wild on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> you know how the people's comments on YouTube, they are so, like I know when I watch other videos, I don't know what's going on with people when they go on YouTube and the comments they leave. They just think they can say any odd thing. And the troll. Yeah, it's just a little bit of a troll heaven, but it's, I love YouTube. I totally stand for it. I watch it. I have it on in my background just about all day, like talking about Egypt and whales and whatever else little yeah. things are going on in there. You know, people floating around the bottom of the ocean, their live broadcasts from, you know, bubble machines in the bottom of the just all sorts of weird things. <laughs> I got to look that up, live bubble machines in the bottom of the ocean. And, and yeah, you see that. Yeah, I call that the Nautilus, the Nautilus, and it floats around looking at weird things and it's got all these cute scientists who uh, get all totally nerd out when there's an octopus or something. It's so funny. Oh, i got to see that. How yeah, do you deal cool. with trolls, Jane? You know, you're so big, you're so popular, and it's so fantastic, and you were mentioning your, your Facebook group. Them. I love that, you know, they're you are have this wonderful, creative, kind critique. You know, I went to art school and we did critiques and um and they weren't kind. <laughs> they weren't, you know, the they weren't exactly always nice. Yeah. Don't know what that's about. Why you have to smash someone's dreams to build up your I don't know what that's about. I didn't do any of that. So do your yeah, admin you help with that. that or I know people express fear. They they fear the trolls on the internet and like a Josie Lewis do you know her she was on the podcast and she has some great videos where she reads the troll comments and oh. and she's so dry about it and so just matter of fact she's like really <laughs> uh, so I don't like I would laugh about them I've got Angus my husband and we would laugh ourselves just how like how sad is someone seriously that you can only pity someone who comes to someone else's page, watches their video, their picture, something that they've done, they've spent time on, they've given freely to the world, yeah. and then they've got to poo-poo it. I mean, you've got to, you can't take that seriously. So I've had some, yeah. not many, like I've, as you're talking about, I'm like, gosh, it's been a while, I'm touch wood. All right, I don't mean like to a, jinx you, but I'm just thinking just it's idiots. something people just, are scared of. You know, some people really take it personally when somebody says something nasty on the internet. You know, it can really hurt your psyche. Well, aren't they hurting their own? Like, I think it's mm. better to laugh at it and report them, block them. Mm. Like sometimes, you know, just 
for you know bullying and mental violence if it's if it's strong enough and just you can yeah. just completely there's so many um anti-bullying anti-trolling mm-hmm. tools um on youtube facebook instagram you can just if you've got someone you don't want to see you can totally just cauterize them out of your life you just don't even have to see them you're not even um you, if they even like something that you yeah, don't even engage right don't even see that so there's just totally cauterized so I think the platforms themselves have become much better at giving us controls yeah for things and um I, I I've maybe it's because my following maybe it's because it's gotten bigger people mm-hmm don't want to expose themselves to being so rude. But, I mean, I follow people like Madonna and, you know, like a few big mm. celebrities. People write the most disgusting things and you just think, what? Why are you exposing your own self like that? You know you look like a turd. Like <laughs> why are you? <laughs> I like you that drunk? perspective, like, Jane. Are you, <laughs> are you <They're> drunk? Just... <laughs> I love that perspective. You flipped it for me. And I hadn't thought about reporting them. I knew you could block them, but I love you really, yeah, you flipped that for me. Why? <laughs> yeah, just sometimes people have a deranged moment and they're, like I said, that pity other people are, would be nicer about it maybe, but I just think, oh, well, that's you. Yeah, yeah. I'm me. You do you, sis. You pop off and go. you go live that life. That's not. <laughs> I like that. You do you. Yeah, you do you. Yeah. You live in a world of pain. But I, I don't really seem to have that as an issue. At this point, I'm touching wood because I don't want it. Yeah. Well, your ladies are so sweet and so nice. But, you know, it's just a topic that I've heard from some of my students that they're afraid of how much do I expose? What do I do if somebody comes at me? So I think you've given some really great tips and advice for that. Success and what does it look like? You know, you have had some amazing successes, but you keep moving forward and you keep making some incredible products and strides and courses and keep just hammering it out. <laughs> I think sometimes artists don't stop to reward yourself. Now, earlier you said that you schedule a trip when you hit a deadline. How do you, how do you measure success and how do you you know, um, reward yourself and celebrate your successes? Well, uh, when I had the gallery, Angus, my husband, we have worked unbelievably hard. So when I see someone that has put in the hard Gs, I would put you in that category, you know, where people have really, they've tried. And you can see they're trying different things. They're following their passions, not resting on their laurels. There's no, they haven't got a like a celebrity connection or anything like that. Like they're actually doing the work, blah, blah, blah. So when we have worked really, really hard and we lived in a warehouse, um, if I put yeah. a glamorous spin on it, kind of like in Flashdance, like <laughs> we lived in an industrial estate, lived illegally in the warehouse. We made it really nice inside, but it's a warehouse, you know, there's nothing you can. I now have a picture of you in leggings. And oh, 1980s leggings dumping a bucket <laughs> of water over your head and flinging your hair and your blonde yeah. dresses. <laughs> yeah, dancing around in my, my warehouse um, <laughs> waiting for my rich boyfriend to turn up in his little sports car. But anyway, yeah, so they, right. that, we had a big warehouse and to me, success, what I was focused on was one day I'm going to have a garden. 
one day mm. I will have a tree. I will have a garden. I won't have to go walking down the road past all of the other warehouses yeah, <laughs> to yeah. get to a little vacant block and then sit in that, which is actually where I filmed my first videos. Really? And so success to me was a garden and when we moved to the nest, which is where we are now, yeah, it is surrounded. It's a treehouse. Like it's because mm. of the slope that it's on. It's got a massive veranda and I have birds that land on the front there, which I can feed, like the kookaburras, and it's trees. So for me, being able to sit there with trees is and birds, just bird songs. So when yeah. I had my sore back, I could just lie there and listen to the birds. I, there's something so elevating and seeing dragonflies yeah. and nature around yeah. you. So for me, that is the epitome of success and even more is being able to have someone help me with that garden because I have no idea what I'm doing. But <laughs> it's a tropical garden and I have Jackson mm. who comes um, once every other week and just helps with all the, he knows what the garden needs, what we're meant to be doing. So he yeah. just helps manage it. But it's true, we want it natural. And then my studio is nestled, so I have to. I walk from the house, and my office is in mm -hmm. the house. And then I walk down through the gardens to my studio, which is my favorite yeah. place on the planet. It's not especially Sounds huge or anything. It's just I love it so much, and you know we can actually go for a walk around the trees, mm -hmm. and you know it's a safe haven for us, but also for all of these animals that live live here we you know we sort of feel custodians so for me that was the big mark of success in having the privilege of being able to live on you know with trees where I hadn't what a great reward <laughs> it reminds me of forest bathing and then you know you've heard the Japanese practice of forest bathing my mother has just she's was on the other side of the country she's mm -hmm. sold up and she's moved, and that's what she wants to do. She wants to have other oh, people bathing? come to. So she's just yeah, forest bathing. So she's just <laughs> she's just moved to a new place. She found this place. It's got a koala colony on it, sugar gliders, oh. all these things, and that's what she wants I don't to even have. Know what a sugar glider is. It sounds cute. Though, I don't know no what a kookaburra what, is. Right? I don't know what a. Sh I'm gonna have to look these things up. Send me a picture or something. These weird Australian animals. Yeah, little sugar guys, like a little possum that flies around. What? It's got like an X-Men suit on, you know, those uh, <laughs> red ball. <laughs> flies from tree to tree. They are adorable. Big eyes is super cute. But, We've got flying squirrels. Maybe like that? Uh, I don't know. Squirrels are more these up. Yeah, you have to look up. Sugar guys are so cute. They're very so cute. cute. There's a lot of very cute Australian animals that make up for the non-cute ones. Yeah, yeah. So what do you want to tell us anything about what you're headed towards, what your next goal is? At the, you know, at the kind of the end here, I like to ask people about where they're headed and and um, you know, we talked about measurements of success and how to reward yourself because a lot of artists just gloss over their own success. They don't talk about it or share it or or stop to enjoy it they just keep going from you know task 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 you said you got some new products coming up and you just been to Egypt like can you oh, share well, anything or no <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the, 
The new products are just, I find that really exciting work, whether it's working on my own ones or working with, you know, spellbinders or jelly arts or peelers or whoever it is that I'm working with. Love jelly arts. Oh, I love it. Uh, they, all of those are, working on those is a form of reward because it is a privileged thing to be able to work on those sorts of things. So, yeah, just I've got more and more art supplies coming up. I'm not into stuff, so it's not just relabeling. It has to have a, a point of difference or a point of... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, I got to ask you about color mixing because you do your own <laughs> color. You have these most gorgeous, succulent, lovely, luscious colors. And I remember watching one of your videos where you were mixing them up a little bit and then you were sucking them up with a pipette and sticking them in a refillable watercolor paintbrush like tell us a little bit about your process for color creation oh I just that to me is very intuitive I actually went to the school of color and design to learn more about color and what I discovered um no this was in my formative years okay what I discovered was that I know intuitively or just had learned so much about color I just have such a yeah I just have a real uh, connection with it and what to me looks delicious that gives me like delicious vibes or yeah, don't lick the clutching. paint folks don't lick, the paint. <laughs> no, don't lick the paint even if it says <laughs> on top of well how do you translate those colors to like a company so when you're making new colors and new products for a company like is there a process that you use or? Yes, and it's not just the color on its own. It has to be the colors in combination with whatever set they're in. So I'm going through that process with a new product at the moment. And it's a real balancing act. So um, I have to have a look and first of all think, well, okay, what are people going to use this product for? Um, Mm -hmm. What would be the best, like what, where are they going to put it? How are they going to use it? Is it for travel? Is it on the desk? Is it you know, where are they going to use it? Who is going to use it? Is it a mm-hmm. beginner, an advanced thing? Is it, you know, who is this person? And right. then what kind of things are they going to want to paint? And then, but I'm also thinking mainly of myself and my <laughs> people, yeah, uh, yeah. assuming a lot of them are like me. Yeah. And then I work out the color, like I usually pick the most important color and then work mm-hmm. what works beautifully with that so that the palette as a whole has harmony so then when you see it it has to have impact when you see it in a store for a start so that mm-hmm. people actually pick it up and it becomes something they take home with them so mm-hmm. it has to, the colors have to look harmonious in that way but they have to mm-hmm. work harmoniously so every time people they combine things they're not instantly making poo color which if you <laughs> want to make mud muds are important neutrals are very important but especially poo is people very at the beginning important. It is. You have to do it or you die. So you, we do need it and everyone does it. So we do need the, the browns but yep. and the beiges and the greys. But if you make them unexpectedly, especially um, if you are a newer artist or just an mm-hmm. everyday artist, um, that is not going to be a nice experience for you. So I'm also looking at colours that play well with each other. So if it's a mm-hmm. bright palette, how do those colours uh, stay bright? If it's a neutral palette, how do we keep the colours still looking clean and neutrals? And that's a lot to do with the 
relationship of what else is in the palette. Mm-hmm. So it's not just picking um, beautiful colours. They also like that live on their own. They have to live on their own, but they also have to live within whatever that set is mm-hmm. and um, have a life of their own but also mm-hmm. a life together. So that takes a huge amount of work and it's one of my favourite things to do. I love working on the colour selections. I love working on the names, mm-hmm. on the little story that that usually comes later, but working on getting the colours right so that when people use them, they're just going to be, wow, I love being an artist. I love painting. I yeah. need to do more of this. This makes me happy because that's how art can make you feel. It, you know, it mm. doesn't have to be serious to be meaningful, especially yeah. for people who are not doing it as a, a business. They're just, yeah. it's just an everyday artist. You're just doing art every day because you love it. Um, yeah. You know, so yeah. that's it tells what I'm a story. For. And people want to connect with story. I hear that over and over again in these interviews is, is how story kind of informs art. Yeah. Yes. Completely. You know, in your studio, can I talk tech with you for just a sec? Oh, your yeah, studio, sure. is it set up like permanently? Do you have like studio lights and a camera facing downward? Like what camera do you yeah. use? It's just set up um, permanently? It's Canon 80D. Uh, cool. It's permanently set up. They've got a pentag, uh, not pentagraph, uh, no, pantograph system that's actually in the roof um, oh. that I had at my in the warehouse from the studio. So it's yeah. way too big for my smaller art studio, but yeah. it's all set up from the roof. The lights are hanging from the roof. Mm-hmm. The camera is sitting and I can put it up and down. I can add, oh, I've jerry-rigged things for the iPhones, this and that. Uh, I've got a green screen I can pop up behind cool. me. Uh, if I and so like, how many cameras do you run at a time when you're recording? Like you do one top I down and then one from an angle and then? I want to have the multiple cameras thing for live streaming. So that's something that I'm, I need to meet a gamer, a game streamer that lives around me. And yeah. he can just, they can show me. What, well, actually, Actually, I asked Flora about this, and she talked a little bit about how she actually bought a Wevo, which is this new camera. They're not even that expensive. They're a couple hundred bucks, two, three hundred bucks, and they live stream, and you can edit straight from them. And she talked about how she had to kind of pull back and simplify and streamline, and this is what she chose was this Wevo. And then I was looking into it, and there's apps, too, that can do this. Uh, There's one called Caster that allows you to stream to pretty much every platform at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I, I think I've just gone through a little bit of an upgrade where I'm just working on, because usually I film it in very high definition and then I come right. in and edit. Editing takes forever and ever and ever. Right. But very often the story happens in the editing. So, mm. especially if I'm just filming myself while I'm creating, yeah. I'm not talking, I'm just creating. And then, because that can go on for hours and I, people do don't want to watch that over. for hours. Yeah, I can do a little yeah. voiceover uh, after the fact. So I've got high-end stuff and it's if I film in full 4K HD, like as good as I can with beautiful lens, the whole thing, mm-hmm. if I do need to get stills from it, I can do that for oh, a smart. book or for blog or for Instagram or whatever else. Yeah. It's there. Um, yeah. So I can uh, lift that from there and then... 
I, I think I'll do, I do, I am interested in that multi-camera aspect. So I'm just investigating that and just seeing how that feels because also when you're drawing or painting, I might be bought, pulling faces as well. So I might not want. <laughs> like I, hung out. Oh, I completely do that. You know, moving my mouth and I probably cut with scissors. You know, who knows? I don't know because yeah. I haven't filmed myself creating. Right. Uh, so I'm, all of these things you just feel out gradually, do them in, in a cheap way, and then if you think, yeah, this, this feels good, okay, well, then I might invest in better equipment yeah. and this and that. But, you know, I've, I've put myself as a little person in the corner um, for and, like, with a green screen behind me and then the yeah. artwork, the hands working on it. Uh, that was a lot of work yeah. <laughs> doing that in the edit, and I edit everything myself. Yeah, you do all your editing yourself. That's fantastic. You're using Premiere or After Effects or? Uh, Final Cut Pro. Oh, Final Cut Pro. Okay. You're a Mac girl. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, there's a new <laughs> one for listeners that's super easy, super accessible called We Video Online um, that is so easy to use. Such an easy online editing app. So easy. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, Final Cut, I know her. We using Photoshop, someone could come out with something else that was better. I don't think I've got the broad, the bandwidth to learn. Hey, if you if you've got something that's working and you've got a system, you got to stick with it. Yeah, if if I have to learn, I'm sort of at the point where I don't want to learn any more new software. Mm. I, I kind of I've know so much about what like Photoshop, InDesign, Lightroom, the things yeah. that I use all the time. I don't want to learn another one. Yeah, so I'm I happy. Final Cut. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. What's your favorite conferences to go to? Conferences? Yeah. It's just not um, a thing sorry. in Australia. It's not? No. So do you mean like Comic Con or? Well, I always kind of ask towards the end of the um, interview if you have any books you recommend or podcasts, but I know you love to travel. So I thought I'd switch it up and ask you what your favorite places to travel to, like workshops, conferences. What do I love to travel to? Do you know, I, the best thing for me is I love being in my, at home with my trees. If there's mm. something major like Egypt or a work trip, mm-hmm. then um, I'll do that. But I've done a lot of traveling in my life. I've been very, very privileged. I've worked very hard to have that yeah. happen. Yeah. Mind having said that, I've got to Italy at the drop of a hat. So <laughs> I've never been to Italy. I'd love to see Italy. Oh, it's beautiful. Well, how do you pick where you're going to go next since these are such crucial things that inform your work? Like, Ireland, you just follow your heart. Ireland was my next. Yeah, just whatever's interesting. Um, yeah. Ireland, uh, I've got a family heritage there. Oh, and yeah. um, there's a lot of megaliths in Ireland. Mm. Ooh, so megaliths. I mean, the megalithic. Uh, is very interesting to me and I've been there once and I saw a little bit of it. I wasn't into it at the time and I still remember every part of it um, was just etched into my memory. I want to do more. I want to touch the fairy stones. Those big giant faces, right? Yeah. I'd love to go to Easter Island. Oh, my God. I just hug those big Easter Island moray things. They're so weird. So... Yes, definitely. So definitely, you know, if you go there, you sh- you need to host a workshop there. I'll come. <laughs> <laughs> but see, then if that, this kids. is what I have learned because I used to do international workshops 
Yeah. And if you are there hosting the workshop, you are working your little butt off. Yeah. I know I am. And and all my students are having the best time. They're drinking wine and they're having a great time and <laughs> looking at all things. And I, the whole time, I'm counting people, making sure we haven't lost anyone, hoping oh, no one trips yeah. over. You know, it's a different thing when you are, especially if you've organised it yourself. Yeah. So I wouldn't mind just going with a bunch of people but if I'm responsible for them that's a different thing entirely and also then you've got to you're on a holiday and then you've got to gear up into work mode and teach and Mm. I would prefer attending (laughs) (laughs) that makes complete international workshops like that yeah so I'll just do that all right so any books or blogs or anything here at the end that you just think everybody should have on their shelf or everybody should read or, you know? Do they have to be art related or can they just be? No, not at all. Not at all. Like, oh, my sister gave me a book called Circe. I've forgotten the name of the author because I've lent the book out again. It says it comes back and then I lend it to someone else. C-R-C-E, it's a goddess. It's a world, uh, the story of. C-R-C-E? Cersei? Yeah, see, see, yeah, Cersei. Uh, nothing to do with Game of Thrones, not that Cersei, although we love a good drunk Cersei. That's when she gets really mean. But <laughs> this is a different thing. It's just one of the best books I've ever read. It's fantastic. And I'm also reading the Wilbur Smith Egyptian series. A lot of it hasn't aged well. It's a little bit misogynistic in Roses. But <laughs> the story, and it is, it's sort of of a time when people owned other human beings and mm. uh, women were property. So, you know, it's, it's, it is of that time. So a little yeah. bit makes me like, no. But the story, and because I've been to Egypt so recently, I know what he's talking about and I can see the places and he's bringing it to life. So mm. Wilbur Smith is a, I, wouldn't, I don't know what genre, page turner, um, kind of that kind of just cheap. Travel? Uh, Might just, be a travel writer. Not really. It's it's set in ancient Egypt. These mm. it's just Wilbur Smith. There's river god, desert god, pharaoh. They're just you know these big sort of sweeping historical imaginations. Of I'm going to have to look that up. Was like. uh, you know, I ask this question really just for me because I'm a big reader, and so I always want to <laughs> ask my guests what they're reading because I'm always looking for a new good book. Yeah, Achilles and Circe, she did the two, but the Circe book, I think you would love it. It's so beautifully written for women. It's just, I think it's a real, I mean, anyone could enjoy it, but oh, I just, I loved that book. I was transported. It was fantastic. I loved it. I haven't felt that way about Sweet. a book since The Hunger Games, mm. which I loved. Hunger Games was awesome. <laughs> uh didn't float my boat so much just the the main character I don't know she was so broken by the end I just she was just you know hiding in a closet and I felt so bad for her she went through so much and maybe that was the point of it I think so I just I just it would just she didn't it was short but I just was taken into that world that's what I'm looking for in a book if it doesn't grab me by the ankles and pull me down Mm. and make me disappear into it you know where you come out of that bubble I love yeah. that feeling like coming back from Wonderland, like you're Alice in Wonderland, you've been transported somewhere else. Yeah, I know you love your Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> ongoing theme. Yes, ongoing love. We could recommend that as a book. That's a weird book. Oh, yeah. 
I have a um, copy of Alice in Wonderland that's signed. It's a signed limited edition uh, illustrated by Maggie Taylor, the wife of Jerry Ulsman. And it's the full Alice in Wonderland, and it's just fantastic. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's her illustration. Such an incredible story. It's so weird. It's yeah, really and weird. her take on it, her Photoshop collages, she picks up stuff from like antique stores and then photoshops them together. It's just so bizarre. It's fantastic. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I'll have to send you some pictures sometime. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you so much for being on. This has been fantastic. So much great advice, so many tips and tricks, and so much insight. Thank you so much for sharing. My pleasure. Just so nice to chat to you. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully something of what I've said is useful, so might help someone out there. I definitely think so. There's so much good nuggets in here and overreaching concepts for entrepreneurs as well as actionable tips for artists and and stuff like that. Well, that's it for the Artist Appeals. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed recording it. I just love talking with all these artists and business people. It's phenomenal and I've learned so much. I hope you've learned something too. You can get more information You can check out some of the links that we talked about in these podcasts at theartistappeals.com. That's theartistappeals.com. Thanks and have a good one.